You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I mean, you don't want to be a Ripley's Believe It or Not entry. Well, uh, actually, I am. But... Are, you really? what? Are you really? I will forever and always be known as the guy who cut his arm off. Mountaineer and motivational speaker Aaron Ralston. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Twenty years ago this spring, a young mechanical engineer and mountaineer named Aaron Ralston set out on a solo hike through the canyons of remote southwestern Utah. Now, he was all alone, hadn't told anyone where he was going. On that Saturday in April 2003, a boulder dislodged unexpectedly as Ralston was moving through a difficult canyon, and that boulder pinned his right arm. All alone, with no food, no water, no means of communication, Ralston contemplated his death. But then, as you'll hear in a few minutes, something miraculous happened, and Ralston was able to save his own life at the cost of his right arm. Now, the title of Ralston's 2005 autobiography practically wrote itself. Between a rock and a hard place, he called it. So here now, from 2005, my conversation with Aaron Ralston. Would I be correct in guessing this is a book you wish you'd never had to write? Uh, actually, I no. Uh, the closing paragraphs of the book explain how this episode in my life has been the greatest blessing and a miracle for me and something that I would not trade for anything, not to have my hand back, not to, uh, not to say that I didn't go through the most excruciating pain of my life while I was in the canyon, the amputation, and, uh, but the miracle of my survival and the story that it's given me, the work that it's done in other people's lives, the, the perspective that I've gained from it. I've, no, I, I wouldn't say I wish I'd never gone through that or I'd, I'd never written the book. This is my legacy. At this, for, for this lifetime, people will know me as the guy who cut his arm off. Uh, that I, I've been able to turn that into, into something positive, I think, speaks of my personality. But it, it's how I see I'm leaving my mark on the world. But I would guess that most people, before they've read your book, will assume that all it is is a, the story of what happened that those few days out there in the desert. Well, well about half of the book is what happened out in the desert. Mm-hmm. It's also about half of some other other stories, who mm-hmm. I am, that showing the backstory of my life, mm-hmm. where I've come from. Uh, that I, I wasn't just a, a, some climber dude. That uh, <laughs> for me, I I was living the life that I love, the the passion that I'd found in spending time in the outdoors, and I was I proven myself willing to to leave a career as a successful mechanical engineer leaving the world of uh, of academics and, and book study and all of that behind uh, to to do something that was uh, that was very important to me personally and that was spending more time in the outdoors i, I moved to aspen colorado the this this mecca of, uh, of uh, the the great outdoors and wilderness and uh, the alpine mountains of, of the rockies there and i was living my dream and mm-hmm. that that was I think a key understanding to what came to pass in April of 2003 when I found myself in this canyon struggling with with the will to survive, because it would have just as been, I think, a likely outcome of, of that experience for a lot of people that not only would they have contemplated some of the things that I did and learned, learned from it, but that maybe they come to the decision 
this isn't worth it. And taking that knife, rather than, than amputating their arm, uh, to, to use it uh, as a means of suicide. And, and certainly that occurred to me. I mean, the misery was absolutely that bad. It was living hell for six days while I was there, uh, trapped without a water supply, uh, without food, not being able to sleep, standing in one place that entire time, uh, the pain of the rock on my hand and, and wrist. And so... It's can, can you quantify how different a person you are now than you were before? I think I'm very much the same person. Uh, I, I've had new challenges in my life, but the, the things that were important to me, um, when I was speaking about passion, uh, also mm-hmm. relationships, my family, my friends, myself, those, the relationships that, um, with my spirituality, that I came out of it in in so many ways more convinced of of the priorities and values that I have, and therefore being able to move forward uh, with the rest of my life, being being able to have a, a confidence that I know I can I can handle whatever it is mm-hmm. that's given to me. Flat tire uh, on the freeway probably doesn't bother you as much anymore. You know, a missed flight, uh, a head cold. <laughs> it's, it's it's just there's there's a perspective shift that I've undergone, mm-hmm. and uh, I can I can move forward now uh, with. Trying to face some of the bigger uh, difficulties in, in in my life are uh, surrounding more of how much time am I willing to dedicate to leaving this legacy, to sharing this story, to inspire other people, uh, to do to fulfill the duty and the obligation that I feel for for having had a miracle come to pass in my life, and balance that with my lifestyle, what what it is that that drives me personally, and and to spend time with the people who are important mm-hmm. to me. Uh, so that that's actually the biggest challenge that I've faced in the last two and a half years since this accident, how to incorporate this gift that I've been given and still uh, move forward so that I don't feel like I'm just living the same day over and over again every time I talk about it. But and, so that that, and so that you're not a living oddity. I mean, you don't want to be a Ripley's Believe It or Not entry. Well, uh, actually, I am. But are, you really, <laughs> what, are you really? Yeah. yeah the, the, but... I, not that that's, I meant to uh, cast no aspersions on the fine yeah. Ripley people. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I know. Uh, I will forever and always be known as the guy who cut his arm mm-hmm. off. At, at the same time, it, it, it means something to me to know that if people's lives have been touched by that, mm-hmm. they've taken action for themselves to, to, have, to have staved off some suicidal depression, to have uh, quit a job that wasn't fulfilling them, moved to a new city, taken up uh, whatever activity it was that they'd put aside or that they thought they couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for them to have made changes in their lives because of my story that that tells me i'm i'm achieving that that greatest mm-hmm. potential any of us can which is to inspire and affect and, and influence the rest absolutely of the world. i mean i mean not to in any way minimize what you've been through but yeah for some people ending a painful relationship mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm. as bad as cutting your arm off yeah. and, and and i i speak of it in in more general terms mm-hmm. th- that when i look at the effect that it's had as, as this story has has gone out in the world and it's it's inspired people to reestablish a, a relationship that it died off or to to change something uh in in their life it, it, in so many different ways it mm-hmm. it's got a lot of power to it that's, mm-hmm. that's magic and mm-hmm. i see it when i when I'm, I'm in a bookstore and there are people there who who've come out to to hear me talk and, I, and i'm sharing this with them and i'm seeing those those light bulbs go off in their heads as they're realizing where it is that they've been trapped uh, the the metaphorical boulders in their lives and all of a sudden they start to see how it is that they can get themselves through it sometimes it's it's with disabled people who haven't had much joy in their life since a traumatic accident uh, I've, I've gotten the privilege to work 
with several groups of disabled veterans who've come back from Iraq, having undergone not only trauma, but, but psychological mm -hmm. uh, suffering uh, that so many of us will, will never be able to comprehend, but the, helping them get out and go rock climbing. Uh, wow. the, the, to see the smiles on their faces, on their spouses' faces when they recognize this is the first time in six months I've seen him smile. And, and that, that tells me, yeah, this, this has a lot more meaning to it than, than just the fact of sort of the, that prurient reaction that we all have mm -hmm. of like, holy mackerel, this, guy, yeah, well, well, this yeah. guy did what he did. After this short break, the voice Aaron Ralston heard that literally saved his life. Now back to my 2005 conversation with Aaron Ralston. I'm guessing at a book <laughs> signing that there's a fair number of people, probably mostly kids, who want to say, well, what happened? What did it feel like? What would you do? Mm -hmm. you know, and the, yeah, there's the mechanical questions. There's yeah. the medical kinds of angles. But then I'm, I'm guessing there's a pretty fair number of people, maybe those who linger near the back until all those other questions mm -hmm. are out of the way. Then they'll ask, well, mm -hmm. was this, you know, they want to know, did, did you see a light? Was there was a great, was a voice speaking to you? What, I mean, I don't want to make light of that. Was this, yeah. a, was this There was a voice speaking to me at times. And, and, and there was one moment when that voice gave me the answer to the big question, which was the riddle. How do I, how do I cut my arm off with this dull pocket knife? Knowing the bones are there that would stymie any direct mm -hmm. assault with that knife, uh, and that voice shouted out that I could use the leverage of the boulder in order to bend and contort my, my body enough to, to break the bones one at a time. Mm -hmm. And as that came to me, the talk about perspective shifts, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, having been convinced I was going to die in that place, now I had the opportunity to take action to save my life. And six days into it, after having left a, a videotape message, uh, nearly an hour that I'd p put together while I was there in the canyon saying goodbye to my family and my friends and the, the last will and testament of my life, uh, having etched my epitaph into the, the canyon wall over my, my left shoulder, that all of this had, had been me coping with my imminent death. And then the, the light bulb uh, wow. It goes off. It's like being uh, given a second chance at life. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, wow. I would say take the simile out of it, not just like that. It was but, being given a second wow. life. And that has I've, – I've tried to, to keep myself in touch with the joy that I felt in those moments as I was, as I was liberating myself, the, the joy that I know is possible in my life. And there's, there are so many reasons that I'm still here, and part of it is because I've, I've still got a, a passion. Uh, I think that was what I was trying to, to get through, that, that understanding I'm here to live the life that I love, that helped me survive in the canyon. And it's, it's given me the inspiration I need to move forward uh, so that the loss of my hand has not been a limiting factor and in, in a lot of ways has actually enhanced, enhanced my life. Wow. But I'm sure when it comes down to actually having to write a book, there's probably people sitting around the editorial board table saying, you know, Aaron, you really, really, we have to know, we have to know, give us the details. We want to know what happened. Come on. That's what the readers want to know. So there's a, it must have been horrible to have to relive all those agonizing moments. I, I did my coping while I was there. Uh, psychologically speaking, it wasn't that horrible for me to, to go back and remember what it was that I did. And I do it with some pretty painstaking detail. I was, yeah, I was going to uh, say, it was but, painful to read. <laughs> well, I can understand that. It, that was my experience. I wanted to translate that mm -hmm. as, as best I could. The things that were difficult for me to write about as, as a writer in the process mm -hmm. 
were the events that I wasn't personally involved with. So the rescue, what my mom went through, especially uh, what how she found out how how she reacted to that and and what she did because the terror that she went through and I I definitely can empathize with people who say, well, Aaron, what happened to you? Uh, it, it was it was obviously a miserable experience of, of great suffering, but imagine what your mom went through. And I said, yeah, I, I, I can understand. The only times I cried when I was writing this, and I mean tears coming down my cheeks, dripping onto my laptop keyboard. I was waiting for the smoke to start coming up <laughs> and, you know, as I fried my hard drive. But, but those, those tears were, were for the, the empathy that I felt with what my mom went through, the grief of knowing that her, her only son is out somewhere in in who knows where somewhere any somewhere in north america was about all they knew at the initial outset of this and is in a lot of trouble because i hadn't shown up for work after a five-day vacation that was how that was how she found out and 25 hours later she had driven a search operation that encompassed three states uh so many different entities government agencies and uh, all the way down to, to local police my friends rescue groups all of this and they located my truck, had a helicopter in the air. And at the moment that I'm hearing that voice shout out to break my bones, make the amputation, and I start my way out of that canyon, the, the helicopters are on their way to the canyon. And mid-afternoon on May 1st, there's this rendezvous. Um, unplanned. I, mean, other, I didn't know that they were looking for me. They didn't know that you know that I had just done what I did. But the synchronicity of it and how that came together for me, it's not so remarkable that I was able to cut my arm off. But more that I survived cutting my arm off. Are you a religious man? Yeah, and and in so many ways, the spiritual experience that I had in the canyon it only convinced me. I definitely believe that miracles are possible. Now I know that I've had one in my life, and perhaps it's it's only one of many to come. Uh, but that I, I look at it for for the the significance in spiritual terms of what I went through, uh, having to having to come to terms with my death, recognize that I was not the one in control in in my life uh, that yet as I was so attached to it uh, and wanting it as a goal making plans for how mm-hmm. I would pra- perhaps escape how I would perhaps uh, be able to make it back to my vehicle and get to help uh, but that there's this there's this interplay between attachment and surrender recognizing that you don't have say in mm-hmm. the end over what happens um, but it's important to do absolutely everything you can Incredible. The the reason that this perhaps uh, happened in my life are are maybe those those lessons uh, as as a role model of really the capacity that we have as human beings and being so much greater than what we think we can do individually, uh, but the the resources we have internally and spiritually uh, to be able to to overcome fear and uncertainty and, and fatigue and and depredation in order to to make make it happen to do what we have to do in our lives uh, it it reminds folks of, of perhaps unfinished work that they have uh, mm-hmm. those metaphorical boulders as i mentioned and and that i think is the that's the underlying message here uh, that yeah we have a lot more capacity than we think we do Aaron Ralston is 48 now he's a mechanical engineer a popular motivational speaker and yes he's still a rock climber And you can get your copy of Between a Rock and a Hard Place by following the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. 
And while you're at HurtEverything.com, don't miss my interviews with two other people who have miraculously survived something horrible. My 2006 interview with one of the survivors of the Andes plane crash in which the survivors turned to cannibalism, Nando Parado. Had this happened to a commercial airliner with uh, different ages, different languages, it would have been very difficult. If there was a piece of bread or a piece of chocolate, whom would that piece of chocolate would be for? And my 2006 interview with one of the survivors of the Andrea Doria shipwreck, Pirette Dominicus Simpson. We were the reverse of the Titanic. We had good weather. We were in the Times Square of the Atlantic where there were a lot of ships in the area. And don't forget, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on every major podcast platform. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything for Memorial Day, my interview with a former Vietnam War correspondent, Laura Palmer, who in 1988 wrote an incredibly moving book about all the tributes that families leave at the Vietnam War Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. We so often forget that each bullet that killed someone in Vietnam stopped several other lives here dead in their tracks. The flag on the coffin covered only the obvious tragedy, and there were many, many, many others. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thank you.